Oh, so, sorry, you asking me that, do you? Sorry, House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed. Hello and welcome along to House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe and together with Guinness. I'm Emer Constein and I'm here with Ian Madigan. Ian, how has your weekend been a different type of Halloween to the one that we usually would expect? Yeah, it was good. Uh, really looking forward to another show. Um, obviously, a slightly more quiet Halloween this year around. Um, we actually we had a few of our neighbours called call over. We just left sweets out for them on the, on the, on the hall door, so... They were still able to go trick or treating of some sorts, um, but no, there was no no big partying. Our end still um, still in lockdown here in Belfast. So, um, what about you? Were, you? were you back in camp? Obviously, the the French game was was postponed. But what what happened there? Yeah, so obviously disappointing that the French game couldn't go ahead. But we had camp instead, and um, I actually had to text the girls just to make sure that there wasn't some sort of a, a dress up because you never know with like girls like Anna Capeless, like you'd. I just remember last year we were in France this time last year playing um, against France just over in a training camp and we had a full-on dress-up day with the whole squad and there was prizes and we played Halloween games and everything but I was so scared coming into camp this weekend that I was going to be the fool that turned up with my just my IRFU kid on and no no fancy dress. You know that fool that comes into school on non-uniform day wearing your uniform? Like I thought that was oh, going to be... So I had to, I just double checked, but uh, nothing this weekend, no, nothing this weekend, but yeah, back in camp, which was good and and no fancy dress this time round. But yeah, like a very different Halloween that we usually have. Like I actually noticed that when I came to Dublin, like I'm what, 10 years in Dublin at this stage and Halloween just wasn't a big deal when I was growing up. Like I lived in the middle of nowhere where you had to get a car from house to house because there was no street lights. There was no, you couldn't walk out in the dark on your own. So you just got driven from house to house. And it's only when I moved to Dublin that I realized just how big of a deal that it is and the fireworks and the bonfires and everything. And I'm sure that's what your your life was growing up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was one thing that was very good in Belfast. They know how to put on a good fireworks show. Um, so we, we drove up kind of towards the Falls Road and had a good view of it looking out on, on Belfast. And um, yeah, there's there's no shortage of fireworks up here, that's for sure. Um, have you any good, uh, did you ever dress up like OTT or have like a really good dress up? Or are you into your Halloween fancy dress dress up? Yeah, I probably wasn't massively into it growing up. More like just... Um, Probably like, like self, yeah, self confidence of not not backing myself with a good outfit. But uh, as time's gone on, uh, more so in the time in Bristol, actually there was um, a big culture there. Pat Lamb loves a, a good dress up, whether it's like a seventies theme night or even for Halloween dressing up, and um, you know get everyone together. Everyone yeah, makes tell, a effort and tell me a bit about that seventies theme. Um, a little birdie sent me a little message of uh, you. Looking well in a fancy dress outfit, <laughs> yeah. Not name names. Yeah, I think Anna might have sunk me there. Um, but yeah, no, like Pat was great for that. It was always like, you know, we work hard and train and stuff like that, but he'd always like to give a focus every couple of months of having a big night out. And uh, we got down to the stadium in Ashton Gate with his like big function rooms. And there was, I think that photo there was from a 70s night. And, you know, everyone went all out, like big wigs. Pat would be in his platform shoes, uh, himself and Steph dressed up to the nines. And 
um actually find like a night like that really brings the group together and um you know there's a fair bit behind it because you know if you're making demands of guys in training or in games um and you don't have a kind of personal relationship with them it can kind of grind on them after a while whereas if you've got a kind of personal relationship with them and they kind of see the soft side to you um you know and you've had a bit of bit of fun with them you know on a night out and a few pints and they you know they kind of see the softer side to you they can be more receptive and 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 vice versa like guys can be more comfortable criticizing each other and i think when you're when you're complimenting a guy who who you've a good relationship with off the back of a few good nights out you know it it means more as opposed to just the words you know and um i'm sure i'm sure you girls have had a, had a few good nights together that have brought you guys together yeah, like it is. It's the stuff off the field that really bonds you, whether it's a Halloween dress up or whether it's, you know, those nights out after the games. And like there isn't very many, like obviously in last week's show, you know, you have to go to work the next day. So the going out thing isn't, it's only really end of season. And I think one example was last year, you know, we'd, we had a really disappointing Six Nations last year. And what really showed us as a squad is, you know, when, when things are going bad and when, when people are annoyed and pissed off their performances and, and how we did as a, as a squad, what really shows the squad is, when everyone goes out together like you know it's easy for people to go in twos and threes and go their own way and have a moan about what should have happened but that night after the, the Welsh game we flew back and that not one person was missing the girls that were injured the girls that hadn't traveled over to Wales the girls that um, had played and had played badly or you know were disappointed not one person was missing that night and I think that's what shows as well is that those nights are as important as the ones that you win too you know you win together you lose together and it just, yeah, culture is one thing that, you know, you can do all the training you can and you want in the world, but when it comes to actually getting out in the field, you want to have that girl's back or that guy's back beside you. Um, and going on those nights out, you know, really, really does make or break a team. And I think it's it's shown to us this year and it's standed to us this year, it's stood to us this year, um, how how well that is, how well those work that can be edited that bit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but no it's actually it's funny i was actually only talking to a few of the guys about it during the week and like obviously with the restrictions that we're under it's something that we're really missing like even you know five six lads going to a coffee shop um you know going around to one of the guys houses and playing pool or playing darts for a night um going for a few beers you know out on the town after a good win or, or whatever it might be it just it, it it kind of creates an atmosphere within the squad. You know, you, you're coming in back in on a Monday morning, and you know there's a bit of fun about what had happened on the night out, or you know what forfeits guys had to do playing donuts or playing pool. And um, yeah, look, it's 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 a shame that that we can't do that. But I suppose as well, you, you do see um, you, you see guys adapting and, and being able to you know create their fun in a different way. Um, you know and you know, I'm sure I'm sure you guys have been doing things similar. Yeah, we are. And look, that's so important in what you said there about not being able to go over to each other's houses. Just chatting to CJ Stander earlier on, on a bonus episode of the podcast. You know, he was saying how difficult it was for him to come to Munster. One, not knowing the language. And I was like, what was it? You know, what was it that made the transition easier? And he said it was, I suppose, the community and the squad and getting to know the guys and not just getting to know them on the field, but getting to know them and going to each other's houses and actually, you know, meeting their families. It's not just about the person. There's a lot more to the person than just the rugby player. And it's it must be very hard for players. Like, did you find, I suppose you, you're a new player this year with Ulster and coming in the middle of a pandemic, like what it probably is a little bit different. I suppose the restrictions weren't as hard or as tough up north early on when you arrived. But, you know, for new players coming down, 
suppose to any of the provinces this year, it must be a difficult transition and not having that social element to, I suppose, really gel with the team. Yeah, certainly. Like it's 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 not as testing on me because I'm still in around the team, you know, and you know the stuff going on there. But um, I think it is challenging on the partners. Like I know for Anna, like there's certainly not enough as much stuff. Like you know, they'd meet up with the girls around game time, you know, um, and even for an away game, you know, a lot of the time they'd go over to one of the girls' houses and watch it there, and that kind of you know the matches give them a focus in the week as well, and um that's really important because, you know, they kind of live the good times and the bad times with us. And it's very important that they get to enjoy games and enjoy getting together and having a few drinks. So, um, yeah, look, it has been tough, but, you know, you just adapt to it and and get through it, I suppose. Exactly. So anyway, I think we're putting off talking about the rugby long enough. Um, We have have a great show lined up. We have one of the world's top referees, Nigel Owens, coming on for a chat later. Um, Looking forward to that, Ian. Yeah, absolutely. Big fan of Nigel, um, both as a referee. You know, he's he's always um, a very fair ref. I think he protects the players really well and um, adds a bit of humour in there along the way, which is always welcome. Um, but also as a person, you know, a huge amount of respect for Nigel for how he conducts himself. Um, and yeah, really looking forward to catching up with him on the show. So I suppose we have to just pull the plaster off and get into that Ireland defeat to France and, and England winning that 2020 Guinness Six Nations champions. Um, I suppose before we get onto the Irish squad, I suppose talk about France and you know how deserving they were of that win at the weekend. Yeah, look, very, very good performance from France. Um, I think unlike previous French sides, we saw how patient they were in the game and um, any small mistakes Ireland made, France were there ready to pounce on them. Um, I think their ability to up the tempo at, at key times in the game, like they came out after after half time, you know, it was a great first half by Ireland. The game was really in the balance. Um, but they just seemed to just, you know, up the tempo. Anytime someone made a break, there was guys flooding through right on their shoulders. Don't think anyone's running a better support line than DuPont at the moment. You know, everything that guy touches turns to gold. Um, you know, we played against him uh, in Toulouse a few weeks ago and he was phenomenal there. You know, we tried to have a few little plays to kind of trap him in and trick him. And he just, you know, found a way to wriggle out a few times. He's just a tough man to to keep uh, contained. But I'm sure you were impressed with with some of the the, the back three for France. You know, Fiku moving, moving from the centre to the wing was a bit of a masterstroke. Yeah, like last week, I think we predicted Fiku and Vakatawa to be in the centre. And even in the centre, we, you know, they were going to cause trouble. Um, but Fiku proved to be trouble on the wing. You know, it wasn't just his ball-carrying ability. It was his kick over the top. It was his offload for Dupont's try. It was, you know, he was just involved in so much of their play. And last weekend on the podcast, we spoke about Entomach and Dupont and Vakatawa. And, you know, they were the three guys that ended up essentially getting those three tries in the end. And they're just, I suppose Ireland weren't able to deal with their flair for a finish. And so as we spoke about their counter-attack and how, important it was that we had a good line chase and that our kicks were really accurate and I suppose both of those things didn't really happen which allowed them in the back three to show off the flair that they have and flow off show off the skills and unfortunately they did do that and we didn't come out I suppose on on the good side of it but so the Entomac is one of those key players that and the relationship that he has with Dupont from playing at club level like you can evidently see it and it's just crazy to think at how young both of those guys are and what a future that they have ahead of them both at, I suppose, at club and and at international level. 
Yeah, certainly. Um, I was really impressed with Entomac. You know, that little chip towards the, the end was just phenomenal. Like, he's dropped it onto his, you know, perceived bad foot, weighted it perfectly, gathered it up, accelerated it away, and just, you know, gifted a try to one of his teammates. It was just pure class, really. Um, if that's something you try and train him, like, I don't... Like, <laughs> I know. The chip the chip and chase is something I think we've we've seen come back in the last few weeks. Obviously, Finn Russell's a, a master at it. Um, Danny tried it. didn't work out. Gibson Park did it. That worked. <laughs> but, no, it's, I, th- I, I think, um, obviously, teams are very hard to break down defensively at the moment. But, you know, I think... Um, the video analysts and coaches have identified that space between, you know, the, the defenders in the backfield and, and the frontline defence that are more than ever moving forward with real speed. So if you can chip it over them because they're moving forward with such speed, it's very hard for them to turn and get back on the ball. Um, so no, look, it's, it's definitely a good thing for, for the attack to be winning, um, you know, in, 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 in a game that's, I suppose, running out of space. So along with French, the French flair that we saw and, you know, we knew France were going to play with that type of style in that offloading game and with a bit of flair and we do see it. But along with that comes, I suppose, you have to take the good with the bad. And the, I suppose talk, talk to the penalty tries, um, you know, both on Ireland and on the French side of things, there was two penalty tries. Um, would you have done the exact same thing if you were in both of those positions? Yeah, well, I, I think the Hugo Keenan one was an interesting one. Now, I don't... I don't think he was going to score because you know he's he's right there. But yeah. I think it was just it was really poor knowledge from um, from the fifteen from from France uh, to to not realise that it was go- going to be a knock on. All he had to do was touch the ball. Uh, he yeah. didn't need to regather it, and it would have been a knock on. But um, with those moments of madness, you also get brilliance, and you know we we saw that later in the game. I thought he was fantastic at the back. Um, the one with. That was the penalty try against Ireland. Oh, I think if I'm in Doris's position, I'm probably still yeah. dragging him down. And you're kind of hoping that he could get away, that he was trying to gather the ball as you did it. Um, but I think, you know, everyone's in no doubt that that try was going to be scored if 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 Doris hadn't tripped him up. Yeah, 100% it was. And I suppose that was, I spoke really highly of, of Stockdale last weekend on how I really thought he was a great player and and, and notable, you know, going to do well in that 15 position and people just have those days you know especially as a fullback and the conditions where you know I'm totally standing up for him here as a 15 who's played in crappy conditions with a slippery ball and um, but you know it's yes he probably should have done better to gather that but these things happen and, and those mistakes and um, you know he did well in the end to finally finish out the game with the try but you know there's no point in I suppose knocking a player when they're down either and He's young. He's he's only played two international games in that position. You know, it's not as if he has a lifetime of experience. He's a young player, and you have to develop on these young players. I feel, and, and not just you know next. It's not like a conveyor belt of of players, and and people will never get it right first time. Um, but we'll move on to. Uh, oh, I think <laughs> you're right on. You're right on Jacob there, and you know the mistakes he's made there. If if someone else covers for him and tries aren't scored off the back of it, it's nothing as big a deal. You know, the, the one that Dar- like it's yeah. a big deal because Doris has tripped him up, Simbin, penalty try. If that had been regathered by someone and had been kicked 50 metres down the field, you know, it, it's it's not a big issue. You know, it's forgotten about very quickly. And I think people have to realise that, you know, games can unfold in a certain way that can be really lucky for a player. And you can make a few breaks, score some tries, and everyone thinks you're brilliant. And you can also be unlucky. You know, you can be put in a tricky situation 
a bouncing ball doesn't go your way. And, you know, it probably was one of those nights for Jacob, but I also thought on the balance of things, he did some fantastic stuff as well. His kicking was excellent again. The try he scored at the end of the game was brilliant. Um, and, you know, you're not suddenly a bad player off the back of making a few individual mistakes. And he's definitely a guy going forward that I know Ulster need to stand by and, and certainly Ireland do because, you know, he is he is a world-class player. Um, and, you know, I'm sure we'll see that during the Autumn Nations Cup. Yeah, I think that's really interesting what you said there. If if someone had covered his ass like on that line, no one would have remembered that he he didn't dive on that ball or that that try was scored. And I'm just thinking back to this year, and I thank Lauren Delaney for my life this day. We played England over in England, our last game of the Six Nations before COVID happened, and they hoofed the ball down the field. There was nobody there but me, and there was a really bad wind that day, and I completely like completely misjudged it. And those ones where your hands are out and you're like, oh my god, I'm completely in the wrong position for this, but you were too late to adjust your feet. It went straight through my hands, straight through my legs. And whatever way it happened, the bounce, perfect top of her tail, bounced all the way as far as the five-meter line, all the way back down. If I didn't have Lauren Delaney cover my ass that day, it was a it was a worse result for us. And it would have been completely my own fault, like just judged it badly. So I can see how it can happen. And, and um, you know, depending on the conditions as well. And it was it was pretty slippy out there for, for Stockdale. But I suppose a lot of people are talking about the key moments key moments in games and I think it's very hard as a player personally to judge when to take make these decisions and when you're on the field you know you've so much adrenaline you've so much going on you're you're talking you're focusing on your next job and it's very hard to see the bigger picture I think us on the outside as analysts or as you know watching on the tv screen we can see a lot more and you have time to pause it and stuff but in the heat of moment you know as a 10, how easy it is to make those decisions. And I think people are criticising the Irish team for kicking to to touch. But, you know, you have to try things, I suppose. Yeah, certainly. Like, we we played Cardiff last night. Now, I wasn't playing, but... Um, or on Monday night. And um, we'd had, like, loads of possession in the first half and hadn't really got the points on the board. We'd got one kick they and they got a try. So we were 7-3 down, but we'd had the lion's share of possession. Cardiff were a really good side. And you kind of got the sense that we needed more on the scoreboard than three more points. We'd had another kind of seven or eight minutes of pressure on their line towards the end of the first half. And you could just sense on the pitch that the players knew that three points and going in at 7-6 you know, while it was going to be a tight result at halftime, it wasn't enough for the pressure that we had. I mean, you're playing good sides. The momentum is always going to swing at some stage. I think Johnny probably felt that. And he probably felt, look, we've had a good bit of pressure, lots of territory in the first half, and we haven't got as much points on the board as we should have. And he he probably felt that, look, we need five or seven points, um, which I actually think would have been deserved of the, of the, the scoreboard at halftime in that game. Um, and look, he's been brave enough to go to the corner. I actually think it was a very poor decision on half time by the ref. I think it was like clear hands on the deck there. And, you know, if that's a penalty five yards out and they tap and go and go again, we saw what, you know, Keen Healy did, you know, a good latch from James Ryan. He gets over for a try. There's nothing saying that that couldn't have been done again. And, it, you know, it's a very different atmosphere in the change room if you've scored at half time there going in. You know, the, the French are beginning to doubt themselves. The Irish are full of confidence and and I definitely think the start that France got in the second half would have been very different if, if you know Ireland had got over the line for a try um, so yeah it's an interesting one I'm sure you've been in plenty of situations and games where you feel you know 
we need more than seven here or, you know, maybe three is enough. Maybe three will, will break a team. Yeah, and I suppose it's up to those decision makers and those key decision makers on the field. Like, not everyone is going to have their input. And I suppose once you go with it, and, and like that, what Andy Farrell said, you know, he's not the one making decisions on the field. Like, once we step over that whitewash, the decision is completely in our hands and in our captain's hands and in our decision makers' hands. And Johnny Sexton backed himself. And I suppose you have to back yourself into both of these things. And look, it won't always work out, but so that's just the nature of the game and that sport. Um, so the positive thing is there was some really good performances from Ireland through this whole Six Nations campaign, I suppose, notably CJ Stander getting nominated as one of the nominees for Guinness Player of the Championship. Um, and he, again, was a standout player at the weekend, I thought. What, who did you think, um, from an Irish perspective, had a really good Six Nations or had a really good game at the weekend? Yeah, certainly. Like, for, for CJ now to still be getting the turnovers he's getting, like, the scouting that's done on him before games um, is, look, anytime this guy's near a breakdown, take him out. Um, because he is just so good, his you know his body height, his ability to get on the ball and stay on it is incredible. And like, be guaranteed the French had marked their card for him at the weekend. Yet he still came up with probably yeah. three, four, or five turnovers, um, which was huge in a team that was you know probably struggling a bit physically. He really stepped up and and ultimately like gave Ireland an opportunity. Like you know we were what six points down. And he got to gets a great turner on turnover on halfway. We go to the corner. We didn't win the line out. You know, they're the opportunities that CJ presents you with. Um, you know, I thought he was he was fantastic. I thought James Ryan really stepped up. You know, he went through a serious body of work. He just seemed to be everywhere. Um, and look, there was there was plenty of other good performances. You know, I thought Keen Healy was very good in, in, in the in the first half. The scrum stood up well. I thought, you know, Andrew Porter is someone who's really grown into that role and it would be very interesting, you know, seeing Ty coming back in and having two quality options, you know, there to, to compete against each other. Um, and then in the, in the backs, you know, Robbie's Robbie's try was an absolute moment of brilliance. So now if, if we go on and win that game, he's, he's probably the hero for getting Ireland back into it. Um, you know, and I thought he'd, he'd lots of lots of nice touches throughout the game. So there's loads of positives there, you know, there's, there's nothing, I personally don't think there's anything broken with the game. You know, there's just a few things that I'm sure they'll tidy up in the, in the coming weeks. And, um, you know, we might see some some younger guys getting blooded through, throughout these these autumn internationals. And, um, you know, yeah, who are you, who are you yeah. thinking in relation to, you know, who do you, I suppose from an old perspective or just in general perspective, who do we think will be those young guys looking to be called in? Yeah, well, I, I think obviously James Lowe is, has been in camp, so I'm sure he's in their plans to to definitely get a look at him. Um, from from an Ulster perspective, you know, there's some real good quality younger younger backs coming through. Um, the likes of Mike Larry on, on Monday night scored a, scored another brilliant try. He's you know really exciting player. Um, James Hume, who you know really stepped up against uh, Leinster in the final of. Of the of the league at the end of last season, and you know even someone like Robbie Little who offers something a bit different. You know he's kind of an electric back three, can play anywhere across there. Um, there are three guys who, you know, I think will will definitely be in in the Ireland picture in years to come. But you know why not get a look at you know the likes of them against you know a, a perceived weaker opposition like Georgia? Who would you like to see coming in? Yeah, um, I suppose focusing on the Munster part of it. You know, there's a lot of guys that have stood up for Munster in the last few weeks. Um, Jack Adunin, who has been in with Ireland quite a bit, but has never actually got um, that much. I'm not sure if he's captive, but he's got that much game time. But, you know, he's been playing very well for Munster um, and played a match performance last weekend. 
um, Craig Casey again I suppose in the, winning in the Pro 14 at the weekend over Dragons you know another man of the match for him he's been in with the squad training so I suppose to get that to get that um, you know experience coming in and being able to train with the squad and as CJ was saying this morning like he's setting standards and for CJ or for someone like CJ to say that you know that's that's phenomenal that someone of Craig Casey's age is setting those standards so look there's plenty there, the future is bright and I think that's the positive with it um, you know uh, plenty. He'll, Andy Farrell will have plenty to talk about, and he'll have plenty of headaches in relation to discussing the, the upcoming automations. All right, great stuff. We'll be back for part two with Nigel Owens. House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed. Okay, and you are all very welcome back to part two of House of Rugby. Here, a massive House of Rugby welcome here to Nigel Owens. Nigel. You were worth the wait tonight. You had a busy, a busy <laughs> evening. Yeah, apologies, apologies for the wait. I was supposed to get a, a delivery of putting a shed up the farm. It was supposed to come around one o'clock. It didn't come till four o'clock. So uh, hence the panic. And I'm just half done the cows now and fed them. So I don't have to go back out to do them now when, uh, when I'm finished here. Yeah, so it's been, been, been a nightmare. So apologies for the, for the wait. Don't worry about that, Nigel. It's great to have you on the show. Good to see you again, Ian. Yeah, likewise, I think we're, we might be bumping into each other this weekend. Yeah, he will be. I'll be over for us to Glasgow. Is it on Mon- Monday night? Yeah. Night, yeah, yeah. Monday yeah. night. Yes. Should be a good one. Yeah. I quite, I quite, I quite enjoy actually, the Monday nights to watch. Like, you know, I don't want it's like to, I haven't refereed it on a Monday night or to, to play, you know, on a Monday night. But as a spectator, you know, there's there's nothing on a Monday night because everybody's bored on a Monday night. So it's 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 good. You know, I watched um I watched two games last night, um my your game and um and then the Leinster-Glasgow game as well, like, you know, so it's, it's good. Yeah, it's good yeah, to have yeah. a watch on Monday night, definitely. Yeah, you kind of, because we're, we're, we've never really had Monday games before, you nearly lose track of the days. Mm. You know, like you get to a Friday and then you have the Saturday off as your yeah. day off, which would usually be probably a, a Wednesday or a Thursday. Um, you know, and then even after the game, we today off being a Tuesday, which is unusual. But I think that it's good that there's like a run of four games and you kind of get used to it that way. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. We on House of Rugby have our Hall of Fame and every week we ask some of our Facebook members and some of our online members what kind of questions they would like to ask our guests. So for those questions, the latest inductees to our Guinness House of Rugby Hall of Fame are Margaret Hall and Jay Long. Well done to you both. So this week we have two questions. We're going to start you off straight away with some questions from our Facebook members. The first question, so they start off pretty difficult. Who is the rudest player that, that Nigel has wrecked. So this question came in from Margaret Hall. So who is the rudest rugby player that you have wrecked? So you can tell the truth or you can tell a few lies here. Are you sitting next to audio there? We're all... No, you know, honestly, to, to, to be honest, I don't think... Um, I don't think I've come across anybody really rude, really. You know, some a bit a bit different to the others. You find some... Uh, they won't say much on the field, um, but I, yeah, I wouldn't come across as anybody any rude, but really, um, maybe a few chopsy ones over the years. Um, string, str- Stringer, always has something to say. Uh, and then Ogata will be piping up with him as well. Uh, then John, I've just known them on the monster men Sexton. here. Yeah, well, then Johnny Sexton took over from Ogata. And, <laughs> oh, God, Ian is an angel compared to them. Um, <laughs> But no, it's you know no no. I honestly, there's, there's nobody I would say that I disliked refereeing. You know, no, there wouldn't be. No, no, to, to be honest. Um, um, no, there's no. There's honestly not. No, there's not. 
<laughs> we're not going to name them anyway in name and shame, but we'll, well, I, we'll I say there's a common trend. I, I generally only I don't have anybody to to, to name to, to be honest. I've I've always felt like you know some people are just different to the others. Some people don't don't say much, but um, but no, I wouldn't say that I come across anybody rude. No, 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 certainly not on the field anyway. That's a- I suppose that's the great thing with rugby is that respect for the referees. The second question came from Jay Long and he asked, are there any changes to the game that you would like to see try to jazz up the game for the casual observer? Um, Yeah, I think you're going to be careful when you when you sort of want to change the game and sort of (laughs) make it a game where you think everybody in the world wants to sit down and watch it. It's quite a unique game, rugby, and it's quite a complex game. And Unless you go in to change the laws and make rugby totally unrecognisable to other game that we're used to, then there's not much you can do, really. There's little things you can change. They've, they've, they've made some changes now, um, this year, in, around the contact area. There's always quite a few changes made on safety grounds more than anything else, really. Um, but I, I think the one thing for me that I, I would like to see uh, happen, um, and I think it would contribute to game being a bit more open um, and that would be reduced the amount of substitutions. Um, I, I think eight on the benches is far too many. And, you know, when you have eight coming on or 16 coming on from the both teams, you have a stop, start, second half, stop, sub on, stop, sub off. Um, and I think as well, you know, imagine you've been playing your, your guts out for, for 60 minutes and all of a sudden yeah, they bring on a prop opposite you uh, who's fresh and then you've got a scrimmage against him for the next 20 minutes. So um, I think it would help with player fatigue a bit because then the spaces will open up a bit more. There'll be a bit more gaps for, for people to get through. Um, you won't also have a guy who's been playing for 60 minutes, you know, a little bit tired and then all of a sudden he's got to got to play up against somebody who's come on with a fresh pair of legs um so whether that you know it becomes unsafe and stuff i don't know you'd have to look at the the all these sort of stats and how they look into these stuff on, on player safety but uh, i certainly would like to see the amount of substitutions reduced to be honest yeah. reduce, well, at least from from eight down to to at least five you know maybe yeah. even four i think that's a really interesting one obviously you know you need to have substitutes there to replace injured guys um, but it's the it's the, you know the tactical substitution of a fresh front row coming on, you know, or even you know two fresh back rowers coming on who are big carries of the ball. Um, I think for me personally, um, I'd be interested to, to know what you think, Nigel, because obviously you're well known as a, a good referee, but also I think you're you're a big av- advocate of player safety and it's something that you you know you referee very closely. But for me, like as one of the smaller guys out there, um, at around kind of ninety kilos. I, I personally don't like um, the pre-latch. You know, I think, you know, the South Africans were probably the ones who brought it in and obviously it's made its way over to our hemisphere. Um, but, you know, when you've got like two guys who are 110, 120 kilos doubling their weight before contact, it's just, you know, a huge um, mass to take through, you know, for the smaller guys. You know, I don't mind it yeah. if you're doubling their body weight once contact has been made. But um, I was interested to kind of get get, get your thoughts on that. Uh, that. That's a good point, really. And that's something I, I sort of brought up in a few discussions with, with people around because um, they were looking at, at the latch, um, particularly when, when it goes to ground and then the latcher then stays on the ball carrier, preventing a contest. Um, so they were looking at that and um, there was a discussion going around of whether could they could make it illegal for a player to 
to latch on to the ball carrier, you know, before a tackle is is made or an attempt to tackle is made. Yeah. But then the interesting point, which I hadn't thought about until it came in the part of the discussion, was that because so many of the tackles now are, are two on one, then it makes it unfair then for the ball yeah. carrier. If you're going to have two defenders tackling the ball carrier, then should the ball carrier then be entitled to... So imagine you had the ball and you've got... You know, what you said is a quite value point there, that if you're going to tackling two big South African guys who have latched on, yeah. it's one hell of a job to do. But then put it the other way then, you know, imagine if um, if you're the ball carrier, then you've got another player latched on to you and then you have somebody having to to, to, to tackle you. So um, that that's, yeah. I think, the reason why they haven't changed it and whether they will change it, I, I don't know. So it's very interesting when you talk about... Um, changing the laws and stuff you know we, we, everybody comes up with a good idea and then when you think about it you think oh hang on here. i didn't think of that so I, I can see why now it would be difficult maybe to make the lottery legal because would you then be having to make a or, or do you make a, a two-on-one tackle illegal you know um yeah 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 no uh, there's something yeah. that has to be discussed i think yeah what about you Emer? were there any rules that that you'd like to see change maybe so you could get your hands on the ball a bit more out in the wing yeah, I was thinking about this, and I suppose as a winger fullback, you know, you want the ball to come out to you as often as possible. And I was looking about being more restrictive around the scrums in relation to the scrum half and taking them out of the defensive line or even bringing the scrum back a bit further so that there is an, an advantage to the attacking team of having having that, that scrum. But what would you make about being more restrictive with the nine and, and taking them, you know, just solely nine on nine as opposed to um, being able to shoot off onto the 10-12 channel? Oh, sorry, were you asking me that, were you? Yeah, yeah. 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 What did you mean again? I think what we're what we're finding now in the game a lot of the time is like at the scrum, you know, obviously it's a big opportunity for backs to attack, and mm. um, the scrum half is able to shut it shut it down at source too often, you know. Um, and I think you know maybe if there was more restrictive laws brought in around, oh, okay. I got you. Scrum, you know, but. Again, so the scrum half couldn't. The scrum, you mean the scrum half couldn't sort of follow around and be behind the ball, harassing the other opposition scrum half? Yeah, just, yeah okay. instead of it being a meter, maybe two meters or three meters, you know, or you know, they have to stay within the scrum until the ball is gone, or you know, just I think the rules they're they're definitely bending the rules a lot. The nines, you know, they're they're okay. getting around and, and being able to stop it at source, and um, I think it's probably something that we'd share that maybe to have tighter rules around them. But it'd be interesting to see, hear your view on that. Hmm. Yeah, um, I'm not quite sure. As I said earlier, when you sort of discuss about changing a law, you've got to think, well, what's the knock-on effect then? What what, what would happen if, the, if if that was part of the law? And um, I'm not quite sure if, if if there's anything negative about that, really, to be honest, if you if you change that. Um, I suppose the only thing maybe is that nine wouldn't bother chasing that nine round so what you have then you'll have an extra man in yeah. back in defense maybe he'd go back to to defend in midfield so would that block down the space a bit maybe whereas at least if he's if he's harassing the nine he's he's not able to go back and and defend 
with the outside half against the outside half, you know. So, um, apart from that, I, I don't really see that. I don't think there'd be any sort of downside from it, really, to, to, to be honest. Um, apart from just, you know, just you, you being able to sort of defend defend on, on that line, I guess. Um, that, that would be the only thing, maybe. It, it would be an extra man in, in, in defence line five metres back, maybe, if they were allowed to do that, which yeah. a lot of them do anyway. I think that's interesting. You know, we look at it at one way, but then when you flip it around and look at the the defence, what could happen? And when you actually yeah. dissect what could happen with the different laws and similar to what Ian said about, you know, the double tackle as opposed to the, the latch, you know, when you actually dissect them down, there's a lot there's a lot more thought that needs to go into yeah. all these different law, law changes. That, that, that's why trialling them are hugely important. Um, and again, <clears throat> you've got to remember that if you trial a law in a university, like in Stellenbosch, when they trial stuff there in the in the in that competition and that university, they, you know, universities under twenty ones, they, they play a very different type of rugby than a and a national team going to win for the Six Nations or in the World Cup. So you know, it's, it's you've got to be careful when you trial things as well, because all those things. I remember you know when, when you were refing under twenties or under twenty ones, when I when I was refing in that tournament, basically you know if if you set, tell the under twenty ones like this is the law, this one you do, then then they do it. Yeah, and when they play against the senior side, it's very, very different. And I remember somebody asking about, um, you know, reducing the penalty from three points to two points because it would then mean, you know, they'd go for tries more. Um, and everybody goes, oh, "Why? That's a good idea, actually. Then we'll have more tries and less penalties." And then I said, "Well, yeah, hang on now. If, if what do you think a defense is going to do if they think by giving a penalty away, they're going to be giving two points away?" Rather than giving seven points away, so if you reduce the penalty to two points, I would think the defence are going to be more prepared to give a penalty away because yeah. they're only giving two points away rather than seven points away. So they, oh yeah, I didn't think of that. So it is you really have to think laws through and, and trial them um, properly before you you bring them in, you know, because there will be an effect somewhere in in, in the game. But if it if the positives outweigh the negatives, then then obviously that law change is a good law change. But most of the law changes now tend to be around the the safe, safety of the game, <clears throat> a lot of them, you know. <clears throat> anyway. For sure. There's a lot of talk, Nigel, about the, the offside rule and kind of the discrepancies between it. And is it a hard one? Is that probably one of the hardest ones to to keep an eye on? Would you be depending on your touch judges quite a bit? Yeah, you would. It is very difficult. Probably one of the most difficult ones to referee now is is is, is the mall as well. The mall setup and defence of the mall is very difficult because you just so many people together. Do they they come to the middle? Do they unbind? <clears throat> Who took it down? Did the attacking team go to ground to prevent them holding it up for a turnover, or did the defensive team take it down? Um, <clears throat> the offside contact area is always difficult, obviously. Um, and yeah, the space is very difficult because when you um. When you go into a game and you sometimes look at the, at the team sheets and you think they've got two open sides in the back row and the opposition have got two open sides, you know there's going to be a huge contest around that contact area. They are going to scrap for every possession of the ball. So your focus as a referee is going to get that contact area clean, make sure the tackler moves, the arriving players are on their feet, the jackler releases before he gets back on the ball. Uh, that you reward them only if they're on their feet and there's been a clear release and stuff. So your focus is that. <clears throat> only then when you've cleared that, then you focus then on the offside line. But by that time, the ball may be coming away. So you rely on your assistant referees to, to help you with that. But the difficulty then for the assistant referee is 
when you're 40 yards away, 50 yards away, you've got to know when the ball is lifted off the ground, it means that the, the ruck is over. So if you're onside, you're able to come up. So then the, the, the assistant referee has got to judge then, was the ball off the ground or not before they came up or after they came up. So it's, it is very, very difficult. So um, I, I think as a referee, you need to be focusing on that offside as, as yourself as well and not just leave it for the assistant referees. What you want for the assistant referees to do is to, is to back you up if, if you miss something. My philosophy when I referee is I try and get everything I can myself. I know it's humanly impossible not to, to do that, but I try and get everything myself. And then if you do that, and then the assistant referee can sweep up behind you when there was you were looking that's checking that side, and all of a sudden something happens this side, and that's what you want the assistant referees to do not not to rely too much on them, but you certainly do need a six pair of eyes now on the field, plus obviously an extra pair of eyes then with with the t m o as well Nigel, you spoke about um you know refereeing them all and how difficult it is. Did you happen to see the Munster Munster Dragons game at the weekend where they never engaged in the mall mm. has Anything like that happened before while you're refing? Just bizarre scenarios where neither team do anything. No, I, I heard about that, but I didn't didn't watch um, that game. Um, yeah, it's happened before. It and I, you see what what happens is is and some of this is, is our fault as referees if we don't referee the area well enough. So what happened was in in the past and probably creeping back into the game now is if the mall is a, if we're not strict enough in refereeing a legal setup of the mall. The defensive side then has the attitude, well, we can't defend this mall because they're illegal. They're setting bodies in front. They're obstructing. We, we can't get the ball carrier. It's, un, it's undefendable. We can't defend them all. So what they look then to do is other ways. And the other way then was to not to engage in the mall, was to stand off. So the first thing you have to do as a referee is make sure that they, they don't step off the line. You've got to stay on that line. You can't leave the line until the mall is over. Out of the line that is over. So I have seen it quite a few times in the past where they just, they just stay there. And then they hope then that the attacking team is going to have uh, the ball at the back, which becomes obstruction. Or if they have a ball at, at the front, then they'll um, they'll try and tackle the first guy going in. So, yeah, I, I have heard about that. When I, it was a bit of a, a long standoff. I haven't come across one as long as that before, but I, I have come across it a, a few times when the the defence just, just don't want to engage because um, they, they're looking to get a you know a scrum or a penalty or something for, from it because they probably feel well. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to defend it. Very good, um, Nigel. Have you any memories of refing Ian, or any stories to tell, or Ian vice versa? Any funny moments of the two of you on on the pitch? No, I've got. I've, I've refed him um, many, many times o- over the years, and I've got to say, it's always been, always been a pleasure. Um, I've got not because he's there now; it always has been, um, and I am. Um, I don't think there's any. Um, well, you probably remember something now. Um, yeah, I know there's never anything too dramatic, but I I find no. That, ah, look, I, the respect the players have for you, Nigel, is huge. You know, we, we, for me personally, when I see you a ref for a game, um, I just know it's going to be a game that's probably going to flow well and it's going to be ref fairly, and um, you know, there'll probably be a bit of fun along the way as well. Um, but yeah, look, it's um. It's one of those ones. I think you know, as a player and a, and a ref throughout the years that I've played, you, you definitely build a relationship with referees oh, as you go along. And I think there's a mutual respect there now, you know. And I, even the, the the first question you got on the podcast, you know, is there been any you know rudeness towards you? And for the times that I've been playing, I've I haven't seen rudeness towards referees at all. You know, it's it's one of the great no, things. I, I think that's, 
I think that's because, as as you may said, it's it's the the respect that the game has, like you know, and um, it 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 wouldn't be allowed, you know, that the captain or the other players in the team would, you know, would would prevent that happening if it did happen. So no, uh, you know, there has not sorry saying that there hasn't been any rudeness. Yeah, there's obviously some players who don't like a decision or not happy with the refereeing a game and. Uh, you know, they'll be very reluctantly shake your hands afterwards or won't even bother shaking your hand, you know. But um, And that's fine, but it's it's in the heat of the moment. But, um, yeah, as far as rudeness goes, no. And, um, no, you know, Ian was always a pleasure. He's, he's very... Gets on with the game, you know. He doesn't sort of... Um, no dramas, no um, waving the arms, you know, no chasing the referees. So, um, just want to have to do that for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do Monday night now. <laughs> Oh yeah, actually, you want, to, you want to do this next week as well, just in case things change. I suppose, Nigel, just to get away from from the rugby side of things, but also staying in the lines of it. Um, you've spoken so openly and so strongly and so powerfully about coming out and your experiences around that. But so last week, Dan Palmer, the Australian rugby player, spoke so openly about coming out, and I suppose you have so much to like be thankful for and be you know people you've provided this opportunity for so many people to be able to do this in such a public forum and I don't know do you th- do you understand the effect and the influence that you've had on people so positively um yeah 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 I suppose I do now yeah because um because I when I do I do a lot of talks around LGBT stuff and mental health stuff and things like that and um you know, you get so many people coming up to you afterwards um, or people getting in touch with you and, and saying that they heard your story or they read your story and it's helped them a lot. So, I, yeah, I am quite aware of, of that. It's not the reason why I talk about um, It's not the reason why I came out. I came out with my own mental health and, and well-being. Um, and the reason I talk about it, because I know it does it, it does help people. And uh, But then, you know, rug, rugby and the people within rugby, you know, people like yourselves, it, it's allowed people to be them be themselves, really. Um, and that's why, you know, when, when people tell me, oh, you know, you, you can't be yourself in rugby, I say, well, I say, yeah, yes, you can. You know, sometimes the issues may be with the individuals not accepting themselves who they are, uh, which was something that I struggled with for, for, for many, many years. But, um, yeah, it, it is nice. You know, I, I think the reason why I really started talking about it so openly was that I had a uh, my autobiography came out in 2008, the Welsh version, and then 2009 or 10, then the English version. And uh, there's a couple of extracts in newspapers and stuff about it just after it came out after the 2007 World Cup. And um, I had a letter from a, a lady from down just just below um, uh, Exeter um, in a small village down there. And um, she wrote me this letter to say, look, you know, read read your story. I'd like to thank you because you've you've actually saved my son's life. Um, and it was quite a touching letter, really. And what had happened was. Um, her, her son had tried to take their, their, his own life. He was about 16 years of age. And um, he had a second chance like I did. Um, and they obviously didn't, they wouldn't say why, they didn't know why. So they were living in fear every day that he was going to do it again. And um, just after I'd come out and the announcements of the World Cup 2007 referee squad was done, there was a bit of a surprise in me and myself and Wayne Barnes were outsiders to be picked to go as referees, but they picked us to, to go. And um, they, this family had some friends over this evening, and I think the, the general co- conversation around the table was, um, oh, um, have you heard they've picked the referees for the World Cup? And uh, there's two surprises in there. Nigel Owens and Wayne Barnes are going. 
And the family friend said, oh, isn't Nigel Owens, isn't he the gay referee? And I think the father or mother said, yeah, yeah, he is. Oh, it doesn't matter, you know, as long if he's good enough to go to the World Cup, then it doesn't matter. So the son was hearing this. He knew, didn't know nothing about me, so he heard my name, went upstairs, Googled it, read about it. And then the following day, plucked up the courage to tell his mum and dad, look, you know, exactly the same reason why Nigel Owens did it is exactly the same reason why, why I've done it. And um, they knew, he knew now that the language his mum and dad used around the table, he knew that they, he'd be okay, that they would accept him. And, and she wrote me a letter in, in thanking that, that it's actually saved her son's life. And, um, and that really touched me, that did. And, and that sort of really is the main reason why I do speak about it, about it now, because I know it does help people. And, you know, if I had had somebody like that to talk about it openly when I was struggling with it, it would have helped me a lot and probably prevented me getting into that dark place as well, you know. So it is. And I've, it, no matter what the issues are in, in your life, that's what I think is hugely important, that, that, that you talk about it, you share those, those worries, you know, and, um, it, and raising awareness of it by, by doing that. In, and I don't like using the word normalizing mental health um, because I wish it wasn't about so it wouldn't be normal. But, but the more normal people come about talking about it, it will help a huge amount of people. And that's why I think it is important that we all share our you know our journeys really and whatever the ups and downs along those journeys because people can relate to it and it will help people hugely yeah it's an interesting one like for me you know the last 10 years um i'd look back and i i i don't know whether it's maturity levels or whatnot but i definitely think it's easier now for a player to come out than it would have been back in 2008 or 2009 um i suppose even in ireland you know we were one of the first countries to um have a re- referendum on um, allowing gay marriage, you know, back in, I think it was 2015, which was a big step forward as a country. And um, I think as well, like small things like, you know, wearing the rainbow laces, like for me as a 21, 22 year old, I wouldn't have thought a whole lot of it. You know, they get sent into the change room, you put them on, you're probably thinking, oh, they make my boots look a bit better. But as I got up, you know, a bit older, 27, 28, 29, and, and you know, you've, people from the LGBT community coming up and saying, oh, look, I, 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 you know, thanks for wearing those laces. It actually, it makes it easier for me to be involved in sport. It makes me more comfortable about the people that are, that are doing it. And I think that ties into, you know, how people speak as well. Like even, you know, I think a, a big thing is, you know, personalities like yourself coming out, you know, it, it is huge for us. And I suppose one of the questions I'd have is like, what, what further changes would you like to see going forward? Or, or are there further improvements that you think can be made? Yeah, I think there's always things that can that can, can, can improve, but I, I think it's, it's, it's a cultural thing and a society things as well. Like you know, I think rugby is look at the things that rugby can can do better. Rugby can't take the moral high ground above other sports because of things that rugby need to do better. Um, but I think rugby certainly has led the way in inclusiveness um, and diversity with within the sport. Um, and you know, if, if you if you look at if there's one thing that Today's society lacks, and that is respect. But rugby upholds the tradition and value of respect, you know, better than any other sport in the world, as far as I'm concerned. And, and because of that, it allows people to be themselves. And what you want then is, is the society to go the same way. But if you look at social media today, so there's some really horrible, horrible, nasty people out there. You know, you're thinking, oh, really, are there people like that about? And, and there are. So, you know, it, it's you need society to change as well, um, as well as sort of rugby continuing to do the work that it does. And I, I think when you see people within sport 
people that people look up to in whatever sport it is, when you see the way that they behave and conduct themselves, um, then that then contributes hugely then to to the people around them in society in everyday in everyday life. So um, yeah, I, like I think it's and it's not about you know wearing the rainbow laces is not about sort of making a statement. It's it's about just showing people that that you care, you know, that you that you're allies, you know, particularly for for people who've you know been vindicated and been prejudiced against all their life, you know, when people you know having death threats and in some countries, you know, you get the death sentence for it. So it's just showing people that people do care and people judge you for the person that you are and, and nothing else really. So um, like, I just think rugby needs to continue doing the good work that it's doing, I think. And, um, you know, and, and in all fairness to, to rugby Australia, you know, when, when the incident happened with, with Falau a couple of times, you know, they did the right thing, you know, they, it was called out and said, look, this is not acceptable. And if, you know, if you do this again, then, and that's and that's what that's what happened. You know, we did it again, and there was no place for him in the sport because um, you know it is an inclusive sport, and uh, you know every, everybody has his rights to his own opinion. But you know there are things that are not acceptable, and, and there are consequences for your actions when you when, when you cross that that line. Um, so look, I think you know rugby. What rugby does, rugby has issues. It has issues and uh, homophobia, racist, but, but it's a minority. You know, like in all walks of life. But I think what rugby does do, it deals with the issues. You know, it, it deals with issues that do arise. And I think that then does lead the way and, and show the way for, for other sports and, and other, for society as well, I, I hope. You know, the things will, will change and people will not be judged on the, on the colour of the skin or their sexuality or their religious beliefs. They'll, they'll be judged on, on the content of the character and, and who they truly are as a person. Amazing, Nigel. Um, thank you for that. And thank you for the work that you have been doing and I suppose raising the awareness across across the world and across the board, not just in the rugby community. Um, Nigel, while we have you, do you have time for a quick quiz, quick fire quiz? Yeah, quick fire quiz and then, I, 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 then I'm going to have to so, go. The game we play is taller, shorter, bigger, smaller. So it's literally exactly what it says on the tin. So we show you two rugby players and you guess whether they are taller or shorter or bigger or smaller. So taller, shorter is their height and bigger, smaller is their weight. So the first one I'm going to show you is, um, Nigel, it's you talking to Sam Whitelock. Who do you think is bigger or smaller in this picture? Well, if you're talking about wide around the waist, I'd be the big guy. But if you're talking about taller, <laughs> then it'd be him. So, <laughs> uh, the taller, I'd go. So I haven't got, I haven't got his waist height, but I, however, I do have. According to Wikipedia, Sam is six foot six. While Nigel, you are. Oh, I don't know, six foot two. I think am I. No, I'm about, <laughs> five ten and a half. I tell people I'm probably pushing and a half, maybe. But um, no, so yeah, so Sam Whitelock would be would be bigger. Definitely. So Sam definitely bigger there, Nigel. There yeah. you go. And now for the real deal. We'll keep going until you get one wrong and then we'll add up your score at the end. Sean Crowley oh, okay. is currently top of the leaderboard on three. So first up, we want to know who is bigger or smaller. We have the Italian duo of Martin Gastro, Gastro Giovanni and Sergio Parisa. Which man weighs more? It's a little bit tricky on this now because Parisi is quite He's taller, isn't he? Yeah, I, I think I'll go for mm, Muscle weighs more than fat. Not I'm saying the Cassie Giovanni is fat, but um, I'll go for Parisi. 
<laughs> so Sergio does have a height advantage, but Castro Giovanni yeah. is almost a stone heavier at 262 pounds. So it's 18 stone 10, while Verice is 249 pounds, 17 stone 10. Oh, but I, I, I was counting crazy before he lost his hair, man. That made a good difference. <laughs> That's very, very true. Do you want one more just to say that you've got at go least on one on question on correct? On yeah. So moving on, we have the Munster pair of Peter Stringer and Craig Casey. Nigel, who do you think is taller and shorter? Oh, Craig Casey, I refereed him. He played he plays now. I refereed yeah, him against he, Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, blonde-haired fellow. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, you know, he's short. Yeah. I think he's I said great. we actually on the field that he was short. Oh, my God. It's a long time since you saw Stringer on the field. It's hard yeah, to know. Oh, yeah, well, well, Stringer was... 50-50 oh, chance here, think, Nigel. Yeah, this is... A, this is a, I, there's not much between these two. Um, I will go for... Stringer is the... shortest. No! <laughs> <laughs> Your memory has gone... <laughs> While Stringer is 1.71 metres, the same as Chelsea Colby, he is taller than Craig Casey, who is 165. So Craig Casey is only a mere five foot five. Very small. He was, yeah, he very, was, yeah, very, he was very small. He was very small. Yeah, my God, that long. I'm hopeless. I was on the chase a few weeks ago. I was hopeless of that. I'm hopeless of this as well. <laughs> you have to stick to the farming and the referee, Nigel, and uh, stay away from all those game shows and the quizzes. Yeah, I do. Anyway, so, Nigel, it's been fabulous having you on. Um, thank you so much for spending the time to chat to myself and Ian here. Um, so thank you for coming on to House of Rugby here on Joe together oh, with Guinness. Yeah, thanks a million, Nigel. Look forward to catching up. Hey, pleasure. Yeah. See you next yeah. week. House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe together with Guinness. Game change.